Well, hello once again, dear coyotes and gray wolves. We are on our very last chapter of Tall and his marvelous adventures with Nooms or Noom. I can hardly believe it. I'm definitely not sitting on my front porch today, I'll tell you that. It is quite cold outside. The winds are blowing and it looks like it might snow. Instead, I'm curled up by my fireplace, sitting on a sheepskin rug, surrounded by pillows and a nice big cup of hot steaming tea. This may be my preferred way to listen to stories and possibly even to tell them. Dulce is sitting right here beside me. It's where she's always at these days, right in front of the fire and I can't say I blame her much. In the last chapter, we heard, Poonda Poon, poor, poor little old man. Imagine not really liking to talk and being forced to tell a whole story in front of a king. That would really be nerve-wracking, I think, if I were afraid of talking in front of people. And I really thought that Pundapu told a beautiful story. I think that my favorite stories are the ones where the children in them get to fly. Just like with the cloud painter. Little Nia. She was a sweet, sweet girl. Could you imagine never being allowed to run or play? If your parents thought you so delicate and so fragile that they never let you do anything for yourself? I think I wouldn't mind being swept away by the four winds and taking to a new place either. But it also made me so happy to see that when she did return to her mother and father, they were really proud of the strength that grew within her. And they realized that it was important for her to play and run and be strong. Well, boys and girls, get ready for our very last chapter. I really hope that the story does not end with Nooms or Noom going to jail. That would be heartbreaking. We'll have to see what happens. Chapter 19, Nooms or Noom and the Story of the Great Giant Bunga. Four men had told their stories, and all four had failed. Nooms or Noom was left alone waiting for the trumpet to sound. He lifted one corner of the golden cloth that covered the crystal block and whispered to Tall, We are going before the king now. The other storytellers have failed and have all been thrown into prison. If I don't open the golden door, you and I are lost. But no matter what happens, you must keep absolutely quiet. The king must never know that I have brought you into Troon. He never will, said Tall. I won't make a sound. Are you sure you're not too cramped? 
asked Noom Zornoom. I have lots of room, said Tall. I like it here. Then the trumpet sounded. Noom Zornoom put his arm around Millie Tinkle's neck, and together they walked into the throne room. When the courtiers saw the old man come in with his donkey, they burst out into laughter, for they had never seen such a sight before. But the king was in no humor. He was angry. He said, Who are you, Noom Zornoom, that you come before me with a donkey? I could do nothing else, your highness, said the old man. My stories are written here on this crystal block. The block is too heavy for me to carry, so I brought it here on my donkey's back. Your stories, said the king. What do you mean by those words? I only ask for one story. Then Noomzor Noom told the king about the stories, how he had collected them and written them down on a crystal block. I am going to read you the best one of all that I have heard, said Noomzor Noom. Whoever said anything about reading a story, said the king, beside himself with rage, my orders were that you tell one. I know it, said Noomzor Noom, but, but, but nothing, said the king. You have disobeyed my orders. You know what the penalty is for that. There is no way that I could have learned them all by heart, said Noomzor Noom. There are far too many. That makes no difference, said the king. My orders are my orders, and you should have obeyed them. You will only waste our time. It will do no good to read the story, not even if it's the best story in the world. The golden door wishes to have a story told. King Tazarin was so angry that he had about made up his mind to have the guards throw Nooms or Noom into prison right away. At that point, Millie Tinkle flapped her ears. The golden bells tinkled, and she said, O oh, king, please let my master read his story. It will open the golden door. Then she dropped a curtsy and stood looking at the king with her eyes wide open. The king was so amused at the sight of a donkey that could talk and curtsy that he plumb forgot his anger. That is a wonderful donkey you have. How did she learn to talk? asked King Tanzarin. I'll tell you, said Noomzor Noom. And while the king and courtiers listened, he told them about Millie Tinkle and the Snow Queen. The king was so pleased with what the old man told that he said, If your stories are as good as that, you may read one. But that doesn't alter the fact that you have disobeyed my orders. Therefore, if you fail to open the door, you must pay for the failure with your life. If you are willing to accept this condition, you may read one of your stories. Noomzor Noom thought for a moment. Then he said, I am willing to pay whatever penalty you exact. It makes no difference. Millie Tinkle knelt down, and the old man lifted the crystal block off her back and set it on the floor in front of the throne. He pulled back one corner of the golden cloth, just enough to uncover the story he wished to read. 
he left the rest covered up. Then he himself sat on the floor and read the story of the great giant Bunga. Once a mountain named Kar that lived at the bottom of the sea began to grow. It grew and grew until it was so tall that it stuck its head right out of the water. After that, it grew some more so that to all the world, it looked like nothing but a very high island. But it was different from most islands because it was made of pink coral and because it rose from the surface of an emerald sea. The sun always shone on Car. The weather was always warm and the many miles of beach that ran around the island were covered with smooth pink sand. Along the beaches and for quite a distance up the slopes of Car, grew thousands of penteca trees with slender trunks and big silvery blue leaves. From their branches hung the ripe pentecas, a sweet juicy fruit the size and shape of a coconut and the color of a pearl. These pentecas were all that the people of Car had to eat. Yet they wanted nothing more, for one penteca was enough to keep a man from being hungry for a year. So every spring when the fruit ripened, each islander ate his penteca, and after that he ate no more until the fruit again became ripe. For this reason, the islanders had no food to grow and no cooking to do. So all day long they played on the pink beach, swam in the emerald sea, and stretched out under the warm sun that poured down on the marvelous island of Car. No one knows how long the people of Car lived in this way. But one day, a black speck appeared in the sky, far out over sea. As it came nearer, it grew in size, so that it soon looked like a big black cloud. The islanders, who had never seen anything of the kind before, ran to the beach and stood gazing up into the sky. At first, they were held in wonder, but soon this changed to fear, and all they could imagine was that a horrible monster was coming to eat them up. The more they looked, the more frightened they became, especially when they saw the black shadow of the monster skimming directly toward them across the calm waters of the sea. They watched as long as they dared. Them all but the bravest ran and hid among the branches of the penteca trees. The few who stayed on the beach huddled together, waiting to see what would happen. Nearer and nearer the cloud came, until it was directly over the top of Car. There it stopped and hovered a few feet above the highest point of the mountain. So thick and so black was the cloud that it shut off all the sun and cast a deep shadow over the whole island. The next minute it lowered and touched the peak. When it lifted again, the people saw the huge figure of a giant sitting on the mountaintop. 
Then a voice like thunder roared and said, Happy people of Car, you shall share your happiness with me. Behold, I am the great two-faced giant, whom people call Bunga. Here I shall stay and eat your pentecas. Until a man of Car is brave and strong enough to beat me in battle. And as he spoke, thunder clapped, lightning flashed, and rain poured down on the island. When the rain began to come down, even the brave men who had stood on the beach ran to shelter under the penteca trees. And a great fear seized the hearts of all the people of Car. What can this mean? They asked one another. What have we done to deserve such punishment? As they peeped out from around the leaves of the trees, hoping to see that the cloud had gone. But all that day and the next, the rain poured down without stopping. Not once did the sun shine on the island of Car. On the third day, Bunga shouted, If fifty men, each carrying a penteca, will come to me, I'll stop the rain. At first, the people did not know what to do. Then they decided to take the fruit to Bunga. So fifty men each picked a penteca. They balanced them on their heads, and slowly they made their way up the mountainside to where the giant sat. Just as they reached the top of Car, the rain stopped. Bunga greeted them kindly, saying, I have not come to harm you. I have only come to share your happiness. Don't be afraid. But how could the people not be afraid? For Bunga was a sight to see. He was a huge giant, and his body was all covered with blue hair. He wore a yellow tunic, studded with shark's teeth, and in his hand he held a club. Instead of one face, he had two, so that he could look both ways, behind and in front. His eyes were fiery red, and his mouth was big enough to hold a whole penteca at once. When the islanders saw him, they stood trembling with fear. Not one of them dared to say a word. Put the pentecas right here, said the giant, pointing to a spot on the ground in front of the boulder on which he sat. The men did as they were told. They piled the pentecas on the ground and waited to see what the giant would do. Fine, he said, just what I want for breakfast. One by one, he put the pentecas in his mouth and swallowed them whole. And without stopping to chew or speak, he ate up the whole pile of fruit in the wink of an eye. Then he smacked his lips and said, I'll have 50 of these every day, and every day you bring them. It won't rain. But if you don't bring them, it will rain. And I shall keep my cloud over the island so as to have it ready, just in case I don't get my pentecas. Once a year, at the time of ripening of the pentecas, I shall fight your bravest man. If he can beat me, I shall leave. If not, I shall stay for another year. That's all I have to say. You may go. The people walked away and went down the mountain and joined their companions. As soon as the rest of the islanders heard what the fifty had to say, they became quite sad. They did not know what to do. 
If there was no sun, the pentecas would not grow. If Bunga ate fifty every day, there would not be any left for anyone else to eat. We shall all starve, they said. How can he mean that he has not come to do us harm? And they went about their business sadly, for there was no more joy in their hearts. The sun shone no more on Carr. The pentecas grew badly. Only a few of them ripened, and these few were saved for Bunga. The people lived on green fruit and were sick. No one played on the beaches. No one swam in the sea. No one laughed and no one sang. Every day they took the fruit up the mountain, and once a year they sent their bravest man to fight Bunga. Always he was beaten. For the giant was so strong and his club so heavy, to say nothing of being able to look in two directions at once. Though the man of, men of Kar always fought bravely, they could do nothing. Bunga just laughed at them and jeered at them, and ended the fight by seizing the islander's club, snapping it in half, and sending the man home with these words. If there is no one stronger than you, I shall stay forever. This is an easy life. Then there would follow another year without sun. For five years the people lived in this misery, until they did not care whether they lived or died. Around that time, there were twins on the island of Carr. They were boys, and their names were Egenog and Egenog. They looked so much alike that no one could tell them apart, not even their own parents. They always lived together and played together, and they spoke a language of their own. When it came time for a man to be chosen to fight Bunga at the end of the sixth year, Inijinag went to the people and said, This year let me fight the giant. I am not strong, but I think I can beat him. The people were surprised and said, What makes you think you can beat the giant? He is strong, and you are weak. He will only laugh at you. We may as well send no one as you. You can do nothing without your brother. Perhaps not said Iganog, but no one else has been able to do anything, so you may at least let me try. If I fail, you may cut off my head. If not, I shall ask for nothing. When the people heard how earnest he was, they decided to let him fight the giant. But they had little faith in him, and some even went so far as to laugh at the boy, saying that he was young and foolish and thought too much of himself. But Iganog paid no attention to them, he went off and joined Egenon, and together they made ready for the fight. Egenog spent days hewing as heavy a club as he could swing. And, though the people did not know it, Egenon hewed one too. After that, the twins went off where no one could see them, and they practiced using the clubs until both became very skillful. Time passed. Only one day was left before the fight. That night, while the rest of the islanders slept, the twins went secretly to that place where the men had piled the pentecas that were to be carried to Bunga in the morning. With great care, they opened each penteca, cleaned it out, and filled it with pebbles. Then they put the fruit back together so that not even the sharpest eye could see that a single penteca had been touched. This they did, and they went home to sleep. In the morning... Egenog came to lead the men up the mountain. Egenog was not to be seen. No one knew where he was, 
The men who carried the pentecas complained about how heavy they were. It's your own strength that's failing, said Igignog, and the men really believed what he said. Up the mountain they went and piled their fruit in front of Bunga. When the giant felt the pentecas, he was pleased and said, Your fruit has ripened well. And he ate it all with an appetite. The time came for the fight. Iganog stepped forward while the others stood by to see what would happen. Bunga got up. But he was so full of pebbles that he moved slowly and with much trouble. The minute Iganog advanced to attack him, Iganog appeared from over the other side of the mountain. So much alike were the twins in every way that the two-faced giant thought he was only looking at one person. This confused him. How could the same person be in front of him and behind him at the same time? He rubbed his eyes and looked more carefully. And every time he looked, first Agignog struck him, then Agignog. Bunga turned this way and that, but always, no matter what he did, one of the twins was attacking him from behind and the other from in front. This made him very mad. He strutted about furiously, striking here and there with blows that meant to kill. But he was sluggish and heavy, and his arm was poor. The twins fought with all their might. They pounded the giant on the stomach, they pounded him on the back, and their clubs struck him with dull, sickening thuds. Bunga shouted and taunted them about their weakness. You are a wonderful man to be on both sides of me at the same time, but what good would it, will it do you? I can hardly feel your blows. Then he stood still, raised his arms, and let Igignong hit him for all it was worth. Hit me again, he shouted. I didn't feel that at all. Igignong hit him again and again and again. Now, said the giant, hit me first on one side, then on the other. And he spread his legs so that Igignong could run between them. Then Igignong and Agignong hit him one after the other in such quick succession that their blows seemed to fall at the same time. Bunga smiled and said, You are doing well. Keep it up. It helps me digest the pentecas. But all of a sudden, the pebbles began to pain him. A look of anguish came over his face, and he said, Enough! Stop it! And when the twins did not stop, Bunga once more began to fight. The harder he fought, the more the pebbles pained him, and he really thought Igignog was hitting him hard enough to hurt. This frightened him, for never before had such a thing happened. The pain grew worse and worse, until at last the giant doubled up and fell, writhing on the ground. His club rolled out of his hand, and he groaned in agony. The next minute, the twins picked up his club and pounded poor Bunga so hard on the stomach that he cried for mercy. I'll go, I'll go, he groaned. Please stop, I'll do anything you want. I'll go. Ignog said, call your cloud and I'll let you go. Then Bunga called for his cloud. The cloud lowered over the peak, and when it lifted, Bunga was gone. The cloud drifted away and the sun shone again. And once more, the people of Kar enjoyed that happiness that, that had always been theirs. Igignong and Egignong were made kings 
and all the people of Carr are alive and happy today. For some little time after the story was finished, the king and the queen and the courtiers sat staring at Nooms or Noom. They could not take their eyes off the man who had read such a wonderful story. Yet, though all seemed intent on nothing but the storyteller, at the same time they were listening for the golden door to open. But they heard nothing for the door did not budge. At last, the king looked at the door. When he saw that it was still tight shut, he was disappointed and angry. He said to Nooms or Noom, your story was a good one. If you had told it instead of read it, I think the door might have opened. You did not obey my orders and now I must suffer for another year, but you will suffer too. You must pay the penalty. Off with your head. When Noom or Noom heard what King Tazarin said, he did not know what to do. He thought to himself, this serves me right. I never should have brought Tall with me. How can I save him? He looked at Millie Tinkle as if she could help him out, but she was standing there dumbfounded with her eyes on the floor for the last thing she ever expected was that the door would not open. Then the old man said to the king, I have failed and I am willing to die. But before I am beheaded, I should like to ask one thing of you. What is it? asked the king. That you put the crystal block back on my donkey's back and let her go where she wishes, said Nooms or Noom. I'll kill you both, said the king in anger. One of you is as bad as the other. I want to die with my master, said Millie Tinkle, quite forgetting about Tall. You may, said the king. Then he turned to the guards and said, Take this man out and behead him. Take his donkey with him too. I wish to see nothing more of either of them. As soon as the king spoke, three guards rushed forward. Two of them started to carry Nooms or Noom out of the room, and the other one led Millie Tinkle. They did not touch the crystal block. They left it lying on the floor in front of the throne. But before they could even leave the throne, the king shouted in his rage, Wait! Don't take him away until he has seen the crystal block smash to bits before his very eyes. Noomzor Noom and Millie Tinkle tried to say something, but the guards refused to let them speak. Then another guard was called, and he came forward with a sledgehammer to smash the crystal block. While Noomzor Noom and all the others looked on in breathless silence, the guard raised his hammer and brought it down with all his force onto the crystal block. There was a crash. All the candles went out. The room became dark and silent. Above all the murmur of many voices could be heard the king shouting, What has happened? Why did the candles go out? He had just finished these words when the golden door began to glow. As it glowed, 
One of the eyes in the golden head lit up so bright that it cast a beam of light across the room. Then, slowly, little by little, the golden door swung open. As it opened, the beam of light from the eye swept across the room until it shone on the spot where the crystal block had been smashed. There it stopped, casting its bright light on Tall, who sat among the broken bits of crystal. For a moment, no one said a word. No one breathed. And before the king could realize what had happened, what had really happened, the golden head spoke and said, There is your son. He has come back to you. The queen, in all her disbelief, whispered, It is our boy. She rushed down to where Tall was sitting. The king followed behind her, forgetting his dignity and stumbling along as best he could in all of his robes. They took hold of Tall and kissed him and hugged him until he was almost smothered. And everyone else in the room crowded around as close as they could get. Meanwhile, the eye stopped shining, the door shut, and the candles began to burn again. So intent was everyone on the boy who came out of the crystal block that no one even thought to look behind the golden door. And when they did, it was too late. And though some of them tried to make it open again, it would not move. After his first joy at seeing the boy was over, the king called the guards and made them bring Noomsor Noom before him. He looked at the old man and asked, Did you bring the boy in? I did, said Noomsor Noom. Where did he come from? The king asked. I brought him with me from a place called Martuna, said Noomsor Noom, and he went on and told the king all he knew about Tall. You did well, said the king. You and your donkey are free. After that, there was a great deal of talking and a great deal of confusion, and soon word spread throughout Troom that the king's son had come home. So Tall turned out to be King Tazarin's son. He, began, he became the prince that he really was. All the storytellers were freed from prison. Nooms or Noom was made vizier, and he and Millie Tinkle were given one of the best rooms in the palace. King Tazarin, now that he had his son back, became the good and kind man that he had been before the prince disappeared, and he ruled his people well and made them happy. The first night that Tall was home with his mother and father, he told them all about Martuna. And when the king and queen heard how well he had been treated in that village, they sent to Martuna and brought all the people to Troom. King Tazarin gave them houses and money and everything else to make them happy. And they lived as well as they deserved to live. Tall, Noomsor Noom, and Millie Tinkle never forgot their trip to Troom. They still talk about it and laugh about the time Tall became part giraffe. Millie Tinkle has become a little less argumentative, but not much. And now today, Tall is king, and his title is King Tazarin II, the greatest king of Troom. So far, the golden door has never opened again.
not even for tall. And to this day, no one knows what lies behind it.